Hello, hello. Hey, up. What's up? What's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Puviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have a wonderful, wonderful show for today with an amazing guest, three-time British Olympian Hannah Miley joins the show. Hailing from Scotland, Hannah has competed in the 400-meter individual medley in three separate Olympics, finishing sixth in 2008, fifth in 2012, and fourth in 2016. She's a former world short course champion, European champion, and two-time Commonwealth champion in which she represented Scotland. Hannah currently has her sights set on Olympics number four, and she's currently training for the 2021 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. On today's episode, Hannah compares the three Olympic Games in, in which she has participated, and she also chats about how she avoids burnout, which is something that's very common for athletes in individual sports. Finally, Hannah shares with us how she remains consistent. For swimming competitors, the difference between spots on the podium is often hundreds of seconds, and Hannah chats about the importance of having consistent results. Really, 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 really enjoyed this conversation. Hannah gives authentic and detailed answers she speaks like a coach, and I guess that runs in the family because her father is actually her swim coach. She had a ton of energy, but just incredibly knowledgeable and, and taught me so much, not just about swimming, but also just being a competitive athlete overall. Thrill for everyone to meet her, so let's go ahead and bring on three-time Olympian. Gosh, what a description. Three-time Olympian. From Scotland, Hannah Miley. With years in the water, how do you moisturize your skin properly? It was great difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah trial and error with a lot of different types of moisturizing creams and cleansers and yeah my I'm pretty sure I've developed like scales over the years like my legs and my arms are pretty scaly and um, I've got quite sensitive skin so certain moisturizers that are supposed to be good just burn my skin so it's taken me a wee while to find a good good recipe for it um, so yeah hydration and just a, a good cream that you feel confident with <laughs> Three separate Olympic Games. I'm, I'm curious of the differences in those games because a lot of times I talk to athletes, they say the first one was the toughest because your head's spinning, just the being there and dealing with media obligations and whatnot. And, and it gets easier, but for a lot of athletes, they don't get a chance to have a second and third Olympics. For you, three Olympics, amazing accomplishment. What are the differences between the three events? I um, can certainly agree with the first bit. You definitely feel a little bit like a, a rabbit caught in headlights, but also there is so much to it. And I think you're trying to kind of um figure out in your head what does the olympics actually mean because as a youngster growing up you see it on the tv it's once every four years there's so much hype so much media and then to suddenly be from watching it on the screen to then actually being on pool deck you, you kind of feel like it's so surreal but you're kind of battling with yourself thinking well it's just another competition like why is this so special why is this so different and obviously you've got a couple more people watching um you've got the world's best kind of all coming together but the excitement is just out with the pool as well. You've got transportation that'll take you. So you've got like schedules of what time buses that you need to get from your uh, set departure time. Because if you go into the wrong bit, you could end up at the athletic stadium or you could end up at gymnastics. So you've got to stay on top of that. There's like a food hall, which I was speaking to Alison Schmidt and she was talking about the sort of food court that you get at universities. And she said, it's very similar to the Olympic Games, just the massive dining hall. And I was like, that's amazing. I'd never experienced anything like that. She was like, really? Do you not guys, do you guys not have like massive dining halls at uni? And I was like, 
nope. <laughs> so that was a huge novelty for me. And just seeing the food just being available like 24 seven, like any time of the day, you could just go and grab it. And then the best thing was sitting down and looking at all the different athletes coming in and just thinking, right, guess the sport. <laughs> and you try and like wow. guess the sport of the athletes coming in. So there's lots to take in and it can be quite overwhelming. And then on top of that, you've got to perform. So it's really hard to try and keep yourself in almost like a tunnel vision to keep, you know, you're there to perform, you're there to do your competition and not get distracted and not kind of take on too much of the sort of excitement, the hype, because I feel it's all or nothing. When things go really well, the excitement is like up to a hundred. And then even if things don't go as well, it just plummets. Like you can be down at like megas of a hundred. It, it really is quite extreme. There's no like happy medium. So it's really important to stay in that tunnel vision. So yeah, so the first Olympics can be very overwhelming, great and exciting. I mean, the funny thing is, is when you go to the food hall, you've got like a little um, kind of card on your uh, accreditation where you can just swipe it at machines and you get free Coca-Cola, free Gatorade, like free drinks. And then once you leave the bubble, you're like, I've got to pay for stuff now. <laughs> so that can kind of take a little bit of time to get used to it. But then, yeah, second time round, um, for us, it was the home Olympics. Uh, so I'm very fortunate to be one of the few athletes that get to experience a home game. So the crowd support was amazing, but that obviously comes with an extra amount of pressure as well, because you want to do well in your home soil. So you learn your lessons from your first one and then appreciate uh, and kind of, you know, take those lessons and put them into practice for your second one. And then for the third one, I kind of learned to just relax and enjoy it and remind myself that it is just another competition. Bar the fact there's a couple more people watching. <laughs> so yeah, so each one's got their own life lesson and their own little story to it, which I love. And I love that all three of those games, different continents, so different culture, your experience. If someone else was playing Guess the Sport and you walked in, would, mm -hmm. they, would they guess swimming? Probably not. I think diver or gymnast. <laughs> I'm not the biggest athlete. <laughs> I've got the broad shoulders, but in my sort of proportion... I possibly would look more towards a diver or a gymnast. <laughs> yeah. One thing you mentioned in there is it's just another event. So you try to treat everything the same, but it's not another event. It is the Olympics and especially yeah. swimming is one of the showcase sports of the games. So how yeah. did you balance the, the fact of yeah, it's just another swim, but it's not, this is huge. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's more once the competition's finished because uh, before leading up to those games, um, you have experience of hopefully competing at like world championship levels. You do get a sense of being able to race against the best in the world. So when it comes to the Olympic Games, like you know the competitors that are there and you're very aware of what they're going to do. So hopefully there's not going to be any surprises. But still, the Olympics always seem to kind of bring out that special story, that sort of dark horse that'll just come through that you've not seen before. So it's always being mindful that the Olympics can always bring out like the best in people, but also it can also showcase the worst. So it's trying to make sure that no matter what you do, you are going to be the best possible you can be regardless of your result. Um, and yeah, and everyone has that dream. I mean, I even remember like watching the Olympics when I was 10 years old. And for me, it was Misty Hyman swimming the 200 butterfly, just seeing her reaction like for the race and after and she just kept having this big grin and I thought you know if you work so hard to the point where all you've got left to do is to just enjoy the moment enjoy being there I thought that's such a cool position to be in so for me she was my role model in striving to be that to work hard so that I can just live and enjoy those moments um, and appreciate them for what they are uh, and yeah and as athletes you, know, you go into the zone you've got your mindset and um, 
I do try and stay away from like social media before the Olympics happen because you know you can have a hundred like positive messages and support and all it takes is for one message to come through that's maybe not so supportive that can really like damage your confidence and just eat away at you so it's about protecting yourself protecting your mindset and just making sure that you can still come away from having a good experience because that's the whole point of the games you know it's all about bringing cultures together you know friendly competition and you know the best get to be on the podium so you, you aim to try and be the best how about the balance of you're excited to be on the home waters you're extra pumped up because of it, but you don't want to get too pumped up. I'm sure you've got a little adrenaline going, and I'm sure you got the chills when they announce your name and louder roar than you probably ever received. But at the same time, you got to swim your race. You can't get too excited. You can't go too, too fast. So how do you balance that? That's actually a good question. It's, it, and it's not really something you can like fully prepare for. You have rough ideas. It's, it's kind of a natural instinct. I think, again, it's just making sure you've got that bubble around you so that you're aware of the crowd, but your main focus is on sticking to your routine. So swimmers are creatures of habit. We, we have little quirky um, superstitions as well. So I think if you kind of follow those superstitions, follow those little quirky routines, you can kind of feel that sense of control. So for me, I love breathing exercises and music. And if I ever feel that my anxiety or uh, sort of excited energy gets a bit too much, um, using a couple of like deep breaths just helps bring down the heart rate a little bit more, makes the, the breathing a bit more deeper so it's not shallow breath. Um, and then if you get some good music on, you know, it just, it does hype you up and you just feel happy. And ultimately they say, you know, a happy swimmer is going to be a fast swimmer. So, you know, get some good tunes on that are just going to keep you on the edge of, you know what, I'm ready for this. I'm just going to go for it. There's no what ifs. You're standing on the block. You've done everything possible. All that's left to do is just race um, and do what we've trained to do is just, yeah, just go at it and race. Happy, happy swimmer is a great swimmer. I, I like that philosophy. I, but uh, you got to tell me what were some of the songs or artists that are in that philosophy <laughs> that you got to use? It changes. I mean, it's even different now. I always try to strive to keep my playlist different, keep it fresh and updated. Uh, I do use Spotify quite a lot. Um, try and keep things away from the mainstream music just so that I'm not constantly hearing those tunes when I'm on my driving and on the radio because I will play those songs to death. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of varied. I get some, um, my mind's gone blank as to what ones I've got on my playlist at the minute. Um, at the moment, I've got a, a band. It's a Highland-based band called Elephant Sessions. Um, favorite song at the minute is called Colors from them. And mixture of like Celtic music, but they've kind of jazzed it up with a bit more like electronic music through it. Um, no words, just purely instrumental. And for me, I quite like that. Um, then there's some like ex ambassadors, uh, jungles, always a good one for me. I quite like, um, yeah, I've got quite an eclectic mix. Lindsay Sterling again with the violin, but she can like jazz that up. So it, it kind of sways the, the one thing I can't quite get into is, um, heavy metal and screamer music. I'm, I'm quite not, uh, I've not quite figured where that fits into my sort of <laughs> motivational genre. It will be either R and B pop rap indie anything really you're one of the most prolific swimmers in united kingdom's history looking back in your career thus far what are the, the podiums or results that you're most proud of um i there's been a uh, been a couple because i guess any chance you get to be on the podium you feel really grateful to have that moment and uh each medal comes with its own story but for me the one that i think I kind of treasure the most is possibly the medal I won at the Commonwealth Games in 2014. 
Um, the year leading into that was possibly one of my worst years uh, competitive wise. So from 2013, September 2013, right the way through till July, well, June, July time 2014, every time I tried to race my main event, 400 IM, I kept getting my butt kicked. And I lost so much confidence in myself. My training was going really well. I was doing altitude work and I felt that I was getting really good results. But then as soon as I tried to do any racing, it just never matched what I was putting out in training. And it was getting so frustrated. And there was a, a, a girl called Amy Wilmot who was coming through. She kicked my butt every single time that I raced against her. And I had the expectation of, okay, the Commonwealth Games is in my home country. It's in Scotland. It's in Glasgow. And normally the Commonwealth Games, the 400 IM is always on the last day of competition, but they wanted to showcase their strong, their strengths, which was myself and Ross Murdoch uh, in the 200 breaststrokes. They moved those events to be on day one. And not only was the 400 IM on day one, it was the first event. And not only was it the first event, I was in the first heat. Mm. So I was very aware there was a lot of pressure on me to succeed and come back with a gold medal. I'd done it in 2010 in Delhi. And that was an experience and a half in itself. But uh, this one, everyone just assumed, yeah, you'll be fine. You'll win it. It's easy. And I don't think they realized how hard it was. The, the sort of amount of effort and the struggle that I went through, this sort of self-doubt, the loss in confidence, and just the general frustration I was feeling. And to go behind the block, and like just before I, I went, behind, sorry, went to the call room for the final, my, my dad, my coach said to me, just race. He said, you've worked so hard this season. I'm so proud of everything that you've done. All that's left to do is just race. And for me, it was kind of like my Misty Hyman moment. I felt like, you know what? <laughs> doesn't matter the other competitions that I've done. This is my moment to just enjoy the racing. And, and I did. And I changed up my race strategy as well right before I was about to swim because I felt I've got to do something different. Took a risk and, and it paid off. And I'll never forget that last 50 meters turning pushing off the wall and hearing the crowd like underwater, like I am fully underwater, fully submerged. And the crowd is so loud and coming down that last 50, I'm dying. My arms are hurting. My lungs are burning and my legs are burning, touching the wall and then seeing that I'd won made history. There's only two other women that had successfully defended their title for Scotland. And I'd become the third. And as well, the time for me was really good. And I thought I'm going to celebrate this moment you know, everyone does like the, the bicep, uh, you know, muscle up and all that. And I'm not a muscly person, but I thought I've got to do something. So I thought I'll sit on the lane rope and punch the air. Sat on the lane rope and fell straight off it as well. So um, <laughs> I'm not exactly a graceful person. No more gymnastics. Yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> and yeah, just hearing the national anthem, for me, it was everything. That whole year kind of cemented for me that one moment. It taught me patience, consistency, and trust in the process uh, I really put a lot of faith into my dad my coach to keep going when I was bringing a lot of self-doubt into myself so yeah when you talk about self-doubt one thing that kind of relates is being burned out in a sport yeah. individual athletes are much more likely to become burned out and stale than an athlete in a team sport just because you're around other people they can lift you up and a lot of grueling days a lot of long hours a lot of time by yourself and it can make you question like why am I doing this so how did you prevent burnout what do you do mentally to keep yourself a break and to stay fresh um i kind of live by a quote of if you do what you've always done you'll get what you've always got so dare to do something a bit different uh so each season each cycle from september through to july um 
I would always try something different. So from like from the end of the Olympics in 2016 through to 2017, I would change up my training a little bit. So it was different from the previous season. And those little differences could be um, doing a little bit of boxing or rock climbing or just something to kind of give you that enjoyment that's not just purely on swimming. Um, and it can be monotonous. <laughs> um, my, my dad always used to say the phrase of oh, the mundanity of excellence. So to be good at something, there will, there, there will be times where it is going to be boring. And there are times where it can be frustrating and you get that burnt out where you just feel like I've covered every aspect and I just can't seem to get past it. So I kind of feel I'm a type of person that will think outside the box that, okay, if I'm faced with a problem, I guess my events 400 medley so I've got four strokes to deal with so I always feel like I've always got something that I need to work on and that's kind of always been my mentality so if something's not working I try and fix it or try and work at it if it's still not working I think right okay try and focus on something else and then I can come back to it um so yeah so it's just kind of I guess that's the perception that I have just trying to find ways to look outside the bigger picture other than just following that black line up and down um so I, I work a lot on like body movement pilates um mobility work um and yeah and just trying to be different because I know I'm not a big athlete I'm five foot five which in swimming terms is quite petite um so I have to find other ways to kind of get that advantage or try and you know match some of the competitors that I'm up against who are like nearly six foot and uh, for me it has to be technique and efficiency and um, and yeah and allow yourself if you do have days when you do feel burnt out allow yourself to have time to have a break find something find a hobby that's not swimming related something that you enjoy that gives you that mental break so for me, I love animals. I've grown up with animals. And at the minute, um, we have a puppy. Well, she's not a puppy anymore. She's like a year and a half. But in um, 2019, we brought Poppy into our lives. And she's just been amazing. And I kind of feel, you know, at the age of 31, you know, I'm kind of at the end of my career. And you kind of have moments where you feel like, oh, am I burnt out? Am I, you know, should I keep going? And I just work with her. And I just feel so happy and so refreshed and renewed that I can turn up onto the pool deck and just, that happiness just stays with me for the session. Um, and yeah, and I try not focus too much on the numbers. I think after 2016, I really did struggle. Coming forth was a really sore point for me, but I've learned to use it as a good, uh, as something good. And it kind of told me to stop looking at the black and white numbers. There are other little bits that you can move and that you can control and work on that generate those numbers, but it's that process that's the most important part. So yeah. I've kind of hopefully answered that question in a very roundabout sort of way. <laughs> answered it, especially because there's, I feel like it's, it's a two-pronged philosophy that you have. But first of all, accept the mundane aspects, accept that this is part of being excellent versus you're respecting the process, but also I'm going to have fun when I can. I'm going to change things up. So I, I, I love yeah. it. Yeah. You did mention in that about medley and how you always will have something to work on. So how do you make sure, how do you ensure that you're balanced that uh, you're obviously going to have your strength. Every athlete's going to have their strength before the medley, but you want to make sure that they all get equal training times. So how do you how do you do that? Is it is it simply as easy as just making sure you have the X amount of minutes are the same, or is it a little more complex than that? It's a little bit more complex than that because I guess it depends how you're feeling. You're going to have some days where some strokes feel good, and other days where some strokes just feel rubbish. So it's trying to get that balance. And if there's a particular stroke that's not feeling so good. Um, being brave enough to actually keep working on it, work at what you're weakest at and 
don't be afraid to be vulnerable with it. Um, so yeah, for me, it was always breaststroke when I was younger. I just could not get the hang of it. I could swim it faster backwards than I could forwards. It just didn't click. And it wasn't until I was about 19 that something happened and it just came together. So, you know, patience and persistency does pay off, but I always try and say, you know, it's a good mental strategy as well to work on strokes that you're not good at because it's always easy to work on your strengths. You know, you feel, it makes you feel good, puffs up your ego, your self-confidence goes up. But sometimes it's important for ourselves to take ourselves out of that comfort zone and to, you know, make ourselves work on some bits that maybe aren't quite so right. But be kind to yourself at the same time because we can be very self-critical when things we know we're not good at it. We can be even harsher on ourselves about it. So it's trying to spot the small little progressions and yeah, just keep working at those little bits, you know, use video analysis. If you've got someone's got a GoPro or go on feel. Um, so yeah, it's not an exact science for X amount of distance on this stroke and this stroke and this stroke, and that's going to generate the best form of medley. It's not, it, it's going to be <laughs> dependent on your technique and your technique under fatigue and how fatigued you are on each day is going to be different. So it means that your strengths and your strokes are going to be different. So it's just, it's just being mindful that even if you're having a bad day on a stroke, doesn't mean that's it ruled out. You can still learn something from it and get in the right mindset for that. I think it's important. You talked a bit about not paying attention to numbers. And I know numbers can become very complex, especially because as you get better, your, your improvement is only marginal at times. And, and I know that can be incredibly frustrating if you're doing the work and you're like, how come I'm not getting better? Knowing that, that the marginal small differences can make the difference between being on the podium, landing a medal, not winning a medal, how do you make sure you remain consistent without even at times when you don't see that success as far as through the numbers? Yeah, that is also a, a really good question. It's, uh, I, I guess we use numbers as a guideline, as a marker as to how well we did. And mm -hmm. I guess it kind of skews our perception of success. Yeah. Uh, we can, va we can kind of base our performances on, we, we find a way to value it. Like how do we value that performance? And the numbers just give us that clear black and white. You either came first, second or third on the podium. Great. It was a PB or it wasn't a PB. And I remember, you know, when you're younger, you can drop like five seconds off your personal best or eight seconds. And it just felt so easy. Nowadays, I'm like delighted if I'm within five to eight seconds of my personal best. So you really have to work on the process because there's a, a strategy that uh, I used to do with a sports psychologist that helped a lot. Going into a competition, you get a piece of paper, draw a line, have control and can't control. And you list all the things that you can control and list all the things that you can't control. And the one thing that a lot of people tend to forget is that we can't control the outcome. So, you know, you can come first and be eight seconds away from your personal best time. So you got a medal. Does that deem the performance good or not so good? You weren't on your best time, but you got a medal. Or you can come seventh or eighth and still get a best time. Again, is that performance good? Because you came seventh, but you did a personal best time. So it can really skew our perception. And especially if you're trying to go for a time, it just becomes so frustrating. So it's how you get there. So we can't control the outcome. All you can do is control your training, what you do in the water, your pre-pool, what suit you're going to wear, all those little bits. And ultimately, I try and set myself one or two goals before I go to a competition. So I'm going to you know, focus on the 400 I am. What are the two things that I'm going to focus on within the event, not time related? So it could be I want to make sure last 50, I'm not going to breathe in the last 10 meters. And then third, second 50 on each of the hundreds, I'm going to really try and increase my stroke rate. 
something like that. So once you finish, you can say to yourself, did I stay true to those goals? If yes, okay, then look at the time. And that time gives a true reflection of that process, um, regardless of whether it was fast or slow. And it, it just, again, it's, I mean, I'm only kind of figuring this out. And like, it's 30, 31, but it's, it's allowed me to enjoy the sport a lot more. So yes, numbers are important, but at the same time, if you've got uh, an open mindset where you can view it in more a process kind of perspective, um, those numbers will come. Uh, and it, again, it's just that patience and consistency with it. What a tremendous, tremendous breakdown. I mean, you make it sound so easy. I know it's not. I know it's incredibly personal. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a fantastic answer. And, and it definitely, I can hear the, the coach talking to you. You've, I mean, you sound like you've been coaching for hundreds of years. What a tremendous. <laughs> and I'm going to get to the coaching in a second. But first, I'm curious. In and out of the pool, what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned over the last 12 months? Very good question. Um, <laughs> there's very little that you have control of <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> training. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, obviously with the pandemic and uh, not being in the water, it was amazing what my mentality was like. The first two weeks, I felt, right, I've got structure. I'm going to do these Zoom workouts. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I gave myself far too much because <laughs> I panicked because I thought, I'm, I don't want to lose this fitness. Yeah. And then from week three to week nine, I pretty much burnt myself out. I was in such a big hole. There were other things happening as well in family. There was a lot of health problems within our sort of like family circle. And um, it, it kind of made me realize what's important to me. And ultimately it was my health and my family's health and my partner's health. And working with Poppy as well, she taught me a lot on communication because she obviously can't speak English. So how I interacted with her taught me a lot on behavior and and again, just something fun. Like I, I taught her to pack my swimming bag as well, which was actually quite a good achievement. I thought. Um, so yeah, there's been lots of life lessons and allowing yourself to have self-reflection, I think it's been really important for me. This, these last 12 months, that self-reflection and reminding myself of the journey that I've come because I can, I'm my own worst critic sometimes. I feel like I've not done good enough. I'm not worthy enough to you know, go and do these things. And when I sit back and actually look at what I've achieved and, you know, where I've come from, I kind of realize, you know, it is okay to actually smile and be like, pat yourself on the back and be like, yeah, I think I did good. <laughs> so yeah, self-reflection um, and working what's important, out, what, what's important to me. So. Gosh, I love all your answers. You're also a swim coach. What have you learned about swimming or coaching that you, wish you would have known when you first started out in the sport um well the funny thing is, is i'm not really a swim coach um i, I obviously still swim at the minute so i've been doing master class sessions and, and everything right now. yeah so i've been trying to do like like clinics and do try and basically reiterate my story and hopefully try and create tools from what i've learned to help the next generation coming through you know if they can come away with one thing that they resonate with then for me i feel like that's a success um, and I think it's just being able to digest and try and understand sometimes the choices that I've made um, and figure out, okay, why did I make that choice? Did that help me? Did that make it worse? Uh, and sometimes I realize that my biggest learning points were actually the things that didn't go right, <laughs> that actually went wrong, <laughs> and learn to actually realize that those things are okay. Um, and a lot of it's been on self-confidence as well. Um, I didn't realize that I actually, for a wee bit had, a, you know, I thought I was pretty confident in what I did, but there were moments where I did have a, a little bit of low confidence because 
you know, I'd always worry about what other people thought of me. I sometimes would stick to my comfort zone and not, you know, worry about um, sort of going out with that. Or fear of failure was probably one of the biggest ones as well. Uh, I would always worry that I'd upset people or not perform as well and let people down. So, you know, it's, it's really important for me. I feel with the next generation coming through, again, they've gone through a different journey of uh, adolescence than I've gone through that is definitely more social media based. So their influence is, is going to be huge. And sometimes it's reminding them that it's not all shiny. It's not all going to be, you know, Instagram perfect uh, images and workouts. There are going to be some things that are going to be rough and ready. And you know what? It is okay. It is okay to not have a perfect journey. And um, sometimes my stories, I hope, can inspire and make them realize that, oh, you know what? You can still be successful. You can still be good. But it doesn't have to be an amazing progression all the way through it, you know it's the ups it's the downs and it's it's embracing the downs as well and realizing you can come back from them a lot stronger um so yeah i've pretty much had everything happen to me you know i've forgotten race suits at competitions i've had suits rip on me i've lost my accreditation i've <laughs> turned up to training and forgot my training suit so you know i've not been perfect but um for me my mantra as well was always keep moving forward so if something didn't go right i always try to not let it sit on me and kind of sort of delve on it too much try and keep myself moving forward well you may not officially be a coach but i i think it's in your future that's for sure that's <laughs> i think i could chat with you about stuff outside of swimming just sports and sports psychology i think it's i think it's wonderful future goals projects plans for 2021 i know we got one yeah. goal we're like working but what else we got so at the minute, I, I have a huge, if someone had to ask me how to describe myself and I wasn't allowed to use any sort of swimming accolades, I would probably say that I am a full-time body and movement enthusiast and a part-time puppy trainer. Um, so two things that I love. I love, I'm really fascinated with how the body moves. So I, I've been studying the last three years to become a Pilates teacher, um, looking at mobility work, posture, how the body moves. Um, I can do floating i know it sounds really simple but the art of floating in swimming uh, is actually really quite difficult yeah. and just that body awareness being able to do different little bits and work the small little muscle groups it's not about the big guns and yeah they can help for certain events but it's the functionality of it how do you move at the small little connectors that the you know going from your core right through from your fingertips to your toes and making sure that you're not breaking alignment so i've been working on basically trying to do some you know really uh swim specific land work um i've also been looking at female health as well like the menstrual cycle i find it quite fascinating so been delivering a lot of talks and hopefully trying to create some workshops on just providing education it's you know something that i think a lot of female athletes uh, and female individuals as well that we kind of don't have that much information on and i know from a young teen i you know trying to speak to you know my parents about my cycle you were sent to the doctor and from their perspective it was just based on fertility which at the age of 15 you don't want to know about that you just want to know how can I train without it being sore um so I kind of want to try and hopefully provide the stories that I've had and yeah just kind of create a, an educational package so I still want to be involved in sport um and just trying to design like a couple of workshops both female health related body movement related um and as you can probably gather, talks. I can. I've got the gift of the gab. I can keep waffling and keep talking. So, just trying to find different workshops and comprise all those bits. But keeping my options open, you know, as well. I'm open to opportunities uh, that are kind of out there. So, those are at the minute the bits that I'm kind of working on. Tokyo is still a goal. 
Yeah, at the minute it's still a goal. So I, I did go undergo shoulder surgery in October. Um, so I've kind of been coming back from rehab on that. But um, our trials are still going ahead in April. So I kind of feel like, well, you know what, I've, I've got to try it. I think I'd always regret it if I didn't try. If I make the team, then great. It's another bit of history. It's the fourth games. But if I don't make it, I've sure learned an awful lot. And I can safely say that I'd be able to finish my career knowing that I've given it my all and end with a smile. So yeah <laughs> and with a smile hannah you are i think my favorite athlete uh, i'll be rooting for you definitely how can people follow along with your journey in swimming your journey of learning biomechanics and teaching biomechanics and also your journey of being a puppy instructor how can people follow <laughs> along with that yeah so uh i have an instagram page i think it's at smiley triple eight nine and uh i use twitter as well and i think that's uh, at hannah miley 89 and I have like a, a Facebook fan page, which basically reiterates some of the work that I've done on Instagram. And then you can kind of follow that on Facebook. So, yeah. <laughs> Just thank you so much for today. No worries. Cheers. Thanks for your time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you Dave, for listening. Much appreciation to Hannah. Be sure to give her a follow on social media as she continues on her journey for Olympics number four. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. <laughs>